Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theater Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing. We're joined today by Roger Rees. Roger is known as an actor, certainly, on Broadway. He won a Tony back in 1982 for The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby in the title role. He was nominated a few years later for Indiscretions. Roger Rees, you may have seen on television as Robin Coldcourt in the sitcom Cheers. You may have seen him in the recent movie, Frida. Most recently, though, Roger has a new title on his, his business card, that of the artistic director of the Williamstown Theater Festival. Roger, welcome to Downstage Center. Hi. Uh, nice to be here. Going Thank from you. an actor and a director, I forgot to mention you also done a good share of directing. Mm-hmm. Now you're suddenly an artistic director, an office job, sitting at a desk. How does one do that transition from the stage to, a, to an administrative, creative role? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you said I have a new name on my business card, but up to now I've never had a business card. <laughs> so it's an interesting thing. Uh, I don't know. I think it's all the same uh, uh, interest, you know, an artistic impulse, you know, someone who tends not to want to be a banker, you know, not to spend one's life mining, you know. And uh, I, so I have artistic sort of impulses and I feel that they're well served. Uh, I'm a little uh, far on in my life, and so I, I now I can give a little back. You know, I think it's a, an artistic director is somebody who can uh, uh, dole out a few gifts, give people opportunities, uh, as I've been given in my life. So I think it seems uh, apt at this moment. It just kind of time in your lifetime in your career to, to make a move is that? No, no, to stop making moves, I think. Ah, <laughs> to sit, to, to maybe, settle down. <laughs> no, to sit down maybe would be uh-huh. good, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do, uh-huh. yeah. Well, we should say, for, for those of our listeners who, who don't know Williamstown Theatre Festival, this is a company that's now 60 years on, I believe. No, 51. 51, I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. Um, in terms of doing summer theatre, and has always been an operation that is very much a family. Uh, there is a certain group of performers, directors that seem to come back year after year, and you've worked there a number of times. Yes, I've. I think I've directed six productions there. Um, I think I've only been aware of it in the last nine years, and over the last nine years, it's been run by uh, Michael Ritchie and uh, Jenny Gersten. Uh, the brilliant Michael Ritchie, uh, the uh, inspired Michael Ritchie, who uh, actually uh, was able to give me a job in, in the American theater, uh, and, and Jenny Gersten, who was his uh, soulmate and uh, helped to steer the rudder a bit. And I think they, they, they brought Williamstown to great heights. Uh, I had directed previously in America uh, Peter Manning, who uh, at that time was running the uh, New York Stage and Film Company, allowed me to do a production. Um, opened the door for me to do a production of a thing, uh, a play called uh, Red Memories, which was a discussion about the, uh, Philby, Burgess, and MacLean, the great English spies who were uh, carrying on under the very nose of a, uh, a, an American spy master, James Jesus Angleton. And it was a very complex play which included lots of uh, sections from HMS Pinafore. <laughs> and it, it created a bit of a splash. And then I think from that, Michael realized that I could do these things. I'd run a theater in England, the Bristol Old Vic, for a year and a half, a very famous theater. Uh, but at the end of that year and a half, I realized that I was much younger then, that perhaps I still had some acting in me. 
and I was as I was running that theater, I was also teaching in uh, at the New York uh, at the uh, Florida State, uh, and, and I had I was the second person to have the Hoffman chair after Joe Papp, so I was doing lots of things, and I was felt a bit more active then. So, uh, not that running not that running Williamstown will be an inactive thing. It's t- it's taking my whole life at the minute, and it's I'm willing to give it because it's a fascinating exercise. But certainly, as you suggested, it has celebrity, and it isn't what I suspected it might be when I first went up there a place for New York actors to go away from the summer heat and uh, to go to the hills of the Berkshires and uh, mess around and put on some Chekhov. It isn't that at all. It's a, as In my experience, it's a place where people are really dedicated, spend very compressed amounts of time, uh, rather like a piece of coal turning into a diamond. If it's done well, it, it, it comes out excellently, and it's, it's supported by an incredible community. The people around Williamstown in Massachusetts, in Boston, in Albany, and of course from New York City, its nearest metropolis, are incredibly supportive. They have a fondness for this summer theatre. Uh, and we are tenants in the college. You know, We do inhabit their theatre. Uh, it's strange to be running a theatre that doesn't exist all year round you know, as, a, as a fact. But it's, it's, uh, its summer period, its, its period of activity is a joyous, and a, thing, a joyous thing to be part of and to behold, I think. Yeah. And, and you're taking it on at a time that the, there are brand new theatres. You're not working in the same facilities or is it that the facilities have been remodeled? But my understanding is that the university has done some, some new spaces up there. Uh, one of their alumni, uh, Herb Allen, uh, uh, a very achieved man uh, who's constantly interested in the arts, has uh, uh, built a great mothership of, of a theater for the college uh, called the uh, – it's, it's, it's got a rather clumsy title. It's called the 62 Center for Theater and Dance. But um, – I don't care what it's called. It's a really exquisite, rather reminiscent of uh, uh, the sort of Italian opera house you'd get in a a, a medium-sized Italian city. Uh, uh, Beautifully designed by William Rawne and his confederates. And uh, it's uh, providing the college uh, with a wonderful new state-of-the-art theater. It's really uh, as good as or as better than any theater on Broadway. It seats uh, 512 people. It's, It's intimate and it's... And it, and it has epic sensibilities. And uh, it's a great piece of architecture, I think, and a perfect place for us to do our larger plays. And then what used to be our large theatre, the, it was called the Adams Memorial Theatre, uh, uh, is now going to be our smaller theatre, and it'll seat 170 people. And uh, that's where we'll do our slightly more modern plays, and, uh, and that's been reconfigured too. And sure, because the Adams was, was probably a five or 600-seat house. It was, yeah. yeah. It was, and now it's going to provide us with an intimate auditorium. There's another theatre in, the th- in, 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 uh, in, in the new building, which is a, a black box theatre, which uh, I'm sure we'll be able to use eventually as well. You know, uh, and so we'll, 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 there's an embarrass of riches, really. Yeah. Maybe it slipped past me, but I'm not sure we mentioned the name of the college. Oh, it's the great liberal arts college of America, William, Williams College. In, yeah. in Williamstown, yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah, and I think, you know, having, having worked at Stratford-upon-Avon for 22 years of my life uh, and, and having joined there with, you know, Ben Kingsley uh, and I joined together in, I don't think, 1966 or something. And for the first four years, we never said any words at all. We just carried spears and, um, you know, shields and Peggy Ashcroft around the stage. Uh, but now uh, suddenly I, f- I find, you know, 
there was a thing in Stratford-upon-Avon which used to be the town and clown. That the, the people of Stratford-upon-Avon never really liked the actors. They never did. And and I I was fearful when I took on the Williamstown uh, Theatre Festival that maybe there would be this other thing called the the gown and clown, <laughs> that, that the college wouldn't embrace the actors. But actually, I found uh, that they've been exceedingly welcoming. Uh, I'm thrilled by that, that I think we can really partner, you know, their scholarship and our energy, uh, perhaps glibness, I don't know, but certainly practitioners coming up to a college environment to put on plays seems with a great big library. It's just the perfect place to do plays. And they've been very welcoming. And in fact, I've taught some Shakespeare classes for their students already. So, I'm, you know, the bridges are being knocked down and, and built in, in anew. So we're pleased about that. And for our listeners who are <clears throat> not from the Northeast, uh, Williamstown, Massachusetts, it's in kind of the, the northwestern corner of Massachusetts where Vermont and New York State and Massachusetts all kind of come together, in, in the Berkshires, up in that area. That's right. The theater is in within half a mile of a cow. <laughs> at all times. Yeah, at by, all times. By, by, by uh, zoning regulation. <laughs> yeah. So you are best known as an actor, and it's, you've talked already about your directing experience and indeed your teaching experience, but how did this job come about? Because... Uh, Michael Ritchie was, in fact, a stage manager before he ran he was, Williamstown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did how did they come to you, and what was the process by which you came to the job? Well, I don't know whether I'm flattered or not to think that there were about at least 200 people who wanted this job. Um, uh, you know, and uh, maybe some of those were eminently unsuitable, but I'm sure that the majority of them were. were and I know some of the names now. You know, they've actually vouchsafed some of that information to me, as would be appropriate. And uh, I know that some of those people were some of the greatest directors and theatre minds that I've. You know, it's a one. It's a wonderful jewel of a place to do. So why they picked me, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I had several meetings with the board. I, I offered them some suggestions of what I would like to do. Uh, you know, sort of. I think what, one of the things that might have, might have attracted them is that I have a great sense of tradition and I can honor the tradition of the American theater here um, and say uh, uh, that I respect and uh, know we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be talking to you today had it not been for, uh, you know, uh, Nikos and, uh, and, and Austin Pendleton and George Morfogan and Peter Hunt and Michael Ritchie, all the people who've led this place right through. Uh, and... Uh, of course, that's true. But equally well, you have to have a slightly plastic and anarchic and uh, possible sense of the future. You know, and I think to, you can be rightly anarchic if you have a sense of tradition. And maybe that's what I offer. Uh, I know that nothing is constant. Uh, nothing should be the same. You should, uh, and I know that from plays because when you make a film, you, your script gets smaller and smaller every day you shoot. But with a play, you do the whole play every day. And if you just repeat it, you're dead. You have to go in there like an innocent every evening and let the play do that thing to you every night and then it works. So I think to reinvestigate this with a sense of purpose and um, certain scariness and uh, joy would be a good thing. Yeah. Well, you are the fourth <clears throat> artistic director at Williamstown. I am. The, the first who was not born in this country or a naturalized citizen, but you were born in Wales. Yes. Uh, do you think – No, you... I thought it was, was Nikos. Uh, he was Greek, wasn't he? Was yes. He? Oh, OK. Yeah, so I would say that's two against two really. Oh, OK. Right. I don't know if he was native or not. But... Yeah. 
I, I, I had read somewhere you were the first non-native, but maybe that All right. no, information no. Well, was incorrect. Right. I'm not sure. But in any event, um, do you think you bring a different perspective than maybe your predecessors had being born elsewhere, having worked a, a great deal in, in, in Britain? As well as in this you know, country. I've worked internationally. I've worked in, you know, I teach in Japan a lot. You know, I do, I mean, I've worked in Australia. Uh-huh. You know, I've toured Australia a lot. Um, uh, Europe in a great deal. Um, you know, I think theater is international. I, don't, I think uh, telling stories is an, is an international uh, uh, purpose. Uh, you know, it's what we do all the time. And really, the simple act of telling a story to one other party in a room is what we're doing in theater. Uh, Mostly without technological interference. You know, a film you can cut up and edit, but actually it, the real event takes place before your eyes when you come to the theater. That's what makes it the most exciting th- art form you can imagine. And art seems, seems to me today to be the most important thing we've got. Uh, so looking after that seems to be the job of the world, really, not just of one, of one community. I hate it when people say, oh, your beautiful English voice, the received BBC pronunciation, let me hear you do some Shakespeare, because actually, in truth, Shakespeare spoke much more, he sounded much more like the Americans do than I do now. Mm-hmm. And, and everything's phony, because I taught myself to sound uh, you know, respectable, and I had a Cockney accent when I was a boy. So it's uh, it's all uh, sort of pretend, and uh, and so all I'm asking is that we contact each other, you know, and that the audiences want to come to see the things that we put on in in, in that place. So I think it, it goes way beyond uh, nations or or propriety or people being uh, territorial. Otherwise, we you know we don't want to have uh, you know. I don't, like, I don't want to be part of a who's best contest. I looked at the plays they've done at Williamstown over the years, and they do many Russian plays, many Italian plays, many French plays. I mean, you know, um, and I love American. You know, I want to do many, many American plays. But a lot of people said to me, they said, well, Americans don't want to see American plays. <laughs> so if, what's funny about this job is that everybody tugs your elbow and they tell you what they want. And and you can guarantee that everyone is is about 100 percent different than the one before. Well, for the yeah. average person who would attend Williamstown, who has attended it over the years, is there an expectation that they will see a certain type of play? Certainly, there's some revivals, there are mm-hmm. also new work. Yeah. Is there a certain expectation that you therefore have to deliver to the audience? Oh yeah, of- yeah. You know, I think there's probably about I don't know. Should we say 10,000 good plays? And and I'm going to put on uh, this year. We're putting on seven of them, and uh, and I'm going to work my way through. Do you know, I don't. I don't see. I should put. On, I'm not going to put on bad plays, and I'm going to put them on with great actors and great designers. And uh, I think that's worth coming to. That's what the way theatre works. But theatre doesn't exist without the audience. It's only fifty percent getting ready, and when the audience come, they provide the other part of the recipe, and then you can sort of, as it were, bake the cake, as Richard Harris said in that song. You know, <laughs> whatever that is. But um, yeah, it's 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 actually a pact, a union, a sort of marriage between the audience and the actors. And yeah, we'll do it as well as we can. But we need the audiences to come. We need people to celebrate this great art form. And so yeah, we're, we're, I, I'm all for getting ready, and I don't think I, I'm not prepared to do bad things. I'm, I'm uh, trying to do good things. Yeah. Whenever there's a new artistic director coming into a company, obviously suddenly they have the choice of what do they want to put on? How do they choose the seven? And especially in the first year, there can be countless plays you know of and love, and others that may be brought to your attention. But what was what was your process for pulling together this season? Oh, only only just through I, – I, I, I talked to some directors I like. Uh, 
I had no priority. I didn't think that that, that didn't seem suitable. It, it's exactly like a painter making a mark on a canvas, and you make one mark, and it's you know I think the hardest thing is to make the next mark. It's it's you know it's like a writer. You know you put down a, the letter B. Will it be an O? Will it be an A? Will it be an I that follows it? And um, yeah, these are some plays. These some great plays this year. Do we start with Lady Windermere's Fan by Oscar Wilde this year? But it's directed, a play that might be thought to be a comedy. It's a great play about hypocrisy, sparkling, witty play. But it's directed by Moises Kaufman, who's just directed uh, uh, I Am My Own Wife and The Laramie Project. An extraordinary, startlingly modern mind in the theater. Somebody who who, uh, has a special knowledge of Oscar Wilde and who can make it live. uh, Because he, in fact, directed Gross Indecency, which people also may know, and created that piece. Yeah, so um, uh, that seems an exciting play. possibility to me. Uh, you know, the chance of having, you know, the best Lady Windermere's fan ever, you know, perhaps. And so, and we have Jean Smart in it. Jean Smart of Designing Women. Everyone knows her as they know me from Cheers. But uh, Jane, Jean Smart is, uh, I've been, I was in a play with her down at the Playwrights Horizon. You did very, End of the Day with end her. End of the Day. And um, we, uh, we know uh, that Jean Smart is one of the great stage animals, one of the great stage actresses, one of the most moving, deeply profound uh, ladies of the American theater. So it seems that seems quite an alchemic combination. Is there that temptation? I, I noticed, of course, when you cast Gene, that knowing that you'd work together, is there a temptation to to just go out and grab all your friends and say, come on, spend the summer in the Berkshires with me? Oh, I grab all my friends even when I'm not an artistic director. <laughs> well, yeah. be that as it may. <laughs> no, no, I think, yes, you... I think, uh, sure, you know, when President Bush takes over the country, he brings the people who, you know, are going to support his uh, way of thinking. Yes, certainly there's a certain amount of kind of uh, uh, preference because I like, you know, I like Jean, but I also like the way she acts. You know, and I want to have people around me who act uh, well and uh, strongly. And so, yes, of course, and design well. So I brought my design team with me. Uh, Francis Aronson, the, the great lighting uh, designer, and, and Neil Patel, who's they've, they've really nearly every play I've done in America, and, and Kay Voice, uh, the great costume designer. We've we're all worked together on many, many things. We just finished remounting um, an evening of Kurt Vile with B.B. Newirth in uh, San Francisco, which is that's now Here Lies Jenny. Yeah, Here Lies Jenny, and, and that's a great success in San Francisco. I mean, it uh, it's going so well, and and uh, you know, and it's just that we know each other so well. So why would you? Uh, of course, I would bring the people I know well. However, what I want Williamstown to do, because I've worked through the apprenticeship system of the Royal Shakespeare Company, and this is my perhaps my main plank, is that I want the apprenticeship system to actually work properly. And we so, should say there has always been a fairly elaborate apprenticeship, internship system overall sure. at Williamstown. It, it's in many layered. It's, <clears throat> it starts off with the apprentices who are about 70 young children who actually pay to join and be part of this thing. And then we have interns who specialize in a, di- a discipline of the theater like sound or scenic design, etc. And then we have uh, a young group of actors called the Act One Company who do uh, three plays of their own choosing. And then we have the non-equity actors who are actors who are almost members of equity but not but they but in their own way they've been uh, playing the lead in uh, 
uh, independent movies or off-Broadway plays. They're wonderful, fine young actors. And then we have the equity company itself. So it's many-layered, yes. I've instituted several programs into this uh, to uh, activate new writing, and, uh, and that's going to work well as well. But it's a many-layered cake, yes, Williamstown. Sure. How, how does one participate in these programs? If one of our listeners in Kansas or in right. Texas or wherever wants to participate, how do they do that? How do they become an apprentice or an intern or any of the other? Well, they, they write and uh, ask if they can be a member of, of such programs. And, they, uh, yeah, we can give them the information if they just write to the Williamstown uh, Theater Festival offices in New York. Um, uh, we can give them all the information as we do every year. We get you know submissions from many, many thousands of young people who – you know, when I was a young uh, artist, when I was a, a, a painter to start with, I, I didn't really know where to go for these things. So it's, it's here I am telling people you can apply. And so, I, would imagine, know, I would imagine if they go to your website. That yeah, they sure. The website, they can get all the information. What's, what's the, uh, the web address? I have no idea. Just, just Google. Uh, you Google uh, Williamstown Theatre Festival. It looks like it's org. Does that sound good? That Say work. it again just so I can hear it again. www.wtfestival.org, as in Williamstown, wtfestival.org. Thank you. And <laughs> I, I know from having explored your website myself, there's the one um, one section called Training and Jobs. So oh, that's it. That's exactly right. Training and Jobs section. Yeah, right. And then I, I guess you can probably submit an application right through the website or by writing. No, absolutely. I'm sure that's absolutely possible. We're, we're getting as, as um, uh, you know, the whole, the whole idea of blogging and websites and all that sort of thing is, uh, you know, this year uh, I've instrumented the we're now on uh, we're now on the internet selling tickets, which we weren't never before. Right. You know, it, uh, of course, if I could buy a pair of sneakers on on you know, I, 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 sneakers are important, but not as important as a theater ticket. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to my mind. So um, now you can come and and find us there and actually buy tickets there. So and you can choose your seats just like on an aircraft. You know, is there that is a change in tradition from Williamstown, as you say, it's something you've instituted and. How much um, – and you mentioned that you're even changing and I'd like you to talk a little more about you're changing kind of the process into a real apprenticeship like what you had when you were coming up. So what is it – what are, what are some of the things you're specifically doing to, to make the place your own? Uh, <clears throat> well, you know, the, uh, um, Michael Ritchie instituted a fabulous program uh, for uh, innovative thought, this – that, that, that Williamstown is a very privileged and, and, and certainly when I got off the bus the very first time I saw it some, I don't know how many years ago now, um, there was a little bit of my socialist background sort of uh, – I, I sort of took against it for about five minutes. You know, I thought, well, this looks much too nice, much too grand. And then, of course, I went to the theater and I found out how hard they work and how seriously – the intentions of the Williamstown Theatre Festival are, and I got on board uh, and found it was a great place to work. But um, just outside Williamstown, this very, very pretty town in the middle of the most beautiful countryside in the world, the Berkshires, it's extraordinary, there's a road called the 43 out of Williamstown, which I think arguably is the prettiest road in the world. <laughs> there's streams and cows and things. It's very, very beautiful. Um, uh, but um, North Adams is a town that's just a, a down the road. And really, that's the service town for Williamstown. You know, lots of people who, who work in Williamstown live there. And um, they're, they're 
they're not in the same sort of kind of uh, money bracket as the people, of course, who live around the college because many of the alumni come back and have wanted to enjoy that, you know, and relive their experiences when they were there. They've they've had very achieved lives, and now they come and live near the college and help the college, and 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 and, and uh, it's a wonderful thing. But uh, the people of North Adams. Um, you know, have a slightly tougher time of it. Industri- you know, light industrial town, uh, uh, no railway station there anymore. You know, it's 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 uh, it's trying to readjust itself. What a wonderful thing is that the Mass Mocha, uh, the most wonderful uh, art gallery, the, is in the it, middle of them. It's the Museum yeah. of Contemporary Art yeah. up there. Yeah. And and so it, the whole area is becoming is starting to regenerate and actually grow again, and that's thrilling. Uh, however, um, Michael Ritchie instituted this thing called the Greylock project where underprivileged children uh, from that area would come and be with us for the season and they would write plays. And these kids are like eight and nine years old. And we don't think about that area, as you say, as necessarily even being underprivileged. We think of it as a big tourist area and the university and all. Sure. So that's I mean, I'm not saying everyone is, but right. I'm saying no, there, but are, there, are, there are people uh, who are impoverished. Right. And, can't make ends meet, and and speaking of somebody who you know experienced that as a kid, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, you must be of the generation when I, I know that the kitchen was warm in our house, but none of the, I mean, you used to run to the bed because all the bedrooms were cold. I mean, we never didn't have heating in every room and everything, and I don't know whether that's what's happening to them, but I mean, you know, it's 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 tough for some people. So, um, uh, yeah, so I, that Michael Ritchie did that, and then. Uh, so I've instituted this thing for this group of actors called the Act One Company. And um, I, I, I've, I've got this program called Leapfrog. Leapfrog. Leap is uh, lowercase and frog is uppercase. And um, it uh, allows our two directing fellows, the uh, Seagal and the uh, Fuller, um, directing fellows, that's a young man or a young girl, young directors who come up to, to, to take part in the season, to take the Act One company, which are 10 young actors, fabulous young actors who audition. You know, the audition process for this is really tough and strong. And I'm there all the time, as is Amanda Charlton, who runs the festival side of uh, my programming. Um, and we, we find these great young actors to be in this Act One thing. And in the past, they've done three plays in a rather, rather arbitrarily cho- chosen but, but really tremendous results because they're terrific actors and, and they get to, get to get to work with wonderful young assistant directors. But in this now, I'm, I'm, I've got these two directing fellows and these ten actors uh, and uh, I've asked the directors to bring to us and we've uh, chosen a young playwright and a young theater, musical theater writing team. And for the first three weeks of the season, these children, I don't know, they're all like 21, 22, something like that. They're going to workshop a new play and a new young person's musical for the first three weeks that I will internally adjudicate it with some of my uh, fellows and then they'll, the authors will go away for three weeks and rewrite the material and then for the last three weeks of the season they will do another workshop which will end with three public performances of each of these works and at the end of the season we'll have a new young person's musical and a new young person's uh, play. And uh, that seems a very active way of stacking all our 
valuable resources. And, uh, and so we, we'll have actually uh, tangible evidence that this thing works because there it will be, you know, to be enjoyed or, you know, criticized or whatever. But it, it's, it's going to be a wonderful learning process for the actors, uh, young actors premi- making premier performances of these works and, the, and, and these young uh, playwrights who ne- find it so difficult to get things on, get this opportunity, and the young directors actually direct this new work. And maybe we'll publish them eventually and things like that. So and when you say young actors and directors, what, what age level? Are you well, they're young in, 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 in relating to me, so it's anything under, <laughs> under 50, really. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think young is probably, you're right to sort of notice that. It's not actually, uh, it doesn't mean childish. It, it doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, I think they're under 30, perhaps, but like, you know, they can be anything. And I wouldn't exclude people who want to be part of those programs of any age, really. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, you talked earlier even a little bit it sounded like that you were almost transitioning out of acting um, and certainly into directing but in this new position certainly in the first season you've chosen not to direct and you haven't cast yourself in any of the shows no is that what was the process behind that and is that something we can look forward to in future seasons I, I think I got to a point where I, I realized that my my style of acting is going out of fashion you know and I think I should uh, Step aside. And I, How I tried do you to, define that style and why do you think it's going out of fashion? Well, I asked the seven directors if they would employ me and they, none of them wanted me. Ah, so okay. <laughs> I thought that was a good indicator. No, so, no, it's much more important that I actually um, sort of in, in, in common parlance sort of press the flesh, actually talk to people. I want people to tell me what's wrong, what's good. And I should be – I think it's better than – there used to be a thing that we used to say in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, in a Shakespeare play, you should never wear long – lace-up boots in the fifth act because by the time you got them off, your friends would come round to the dressing room and if you weren't very good that night, you'd have to suffer their criticism. So no, you should never wear difficult costumes in the fifth act. You should always be able to get out of the theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to be backstage changing when I could really be talking to people actually and getting some feedback and uh, activating this thing because I think it, it, you, they need to know. I think a, a, another thing about this whole uh, possibility of uh, just shaking the tree a bit is that I did a production of The Rivals there where where Dana Ivey played Mrs. Malaprop for the first time before she played it at the Lincoln Center. Uh, And she was uh, thrilling in that then as she was when she did it recently. But and we had a wonderful, wonderful cast. Uh, but I remember a man came into the theater on the matinee and he passed the photograph of the, of the production of the rivals. And he said, oh, it's, it's a period piece, he said. And, you know, that's kind of disappointing if somebody's coming to see a, a Richard Brindisley Sheridan play and he doesn't know that it uh, was written some 200 years ago. So am I asking perhaps to educate the audience? No, I don't think I know better than them. They know what they like, but I'd like to know what they like. Uh, you know, and I'd like to help them with, um, uh, you know, I think the tickets should be accompanied by some explanations about what the plays are about and what sort of period and things like that. I've, I've got a couple of other ideas. Here they are. Uh, one's called uh, foreplay. It's apostrophe foreplay. And um, 10 minutes before the play starts on the matinees, two of the dirtiest and most unimportant apprentices connected with the given production that the audience are going to see that day will stand on stage and tell the audience what they like about the play and why they're there and where they come from and uh, what they've learned and uh, what they think of the leading actor and then the play will begin. That's called foreplay. 
Um, there's another thing called two into three, which means that <clears throat> pe- I'm offering people who, who want to come and buy two tickets the chance of buying three. And they can take a young theater practitioner to dinner because these kids need a dinner by the time they've done all this work. And then they can come to the theater with them and they can talk about why they like the theater and mm-hmm. vice versa. Very interesting. I'm trying to break down those barriers, you know, just trying to make it. And, and both of those kind of married to one of the uh, mission <clears throat> statements of Williamstown Theater Festival being education. I'm, I'm reading from your website to provide a training program which emerging theater towns collaborate with accomplished mentors in a vita professional and educational, a vital, I guess, left off of a letter there, a vital professional and educational atmosphere. So here you are bringing in these apprentices and interns with your foreplay. Well, you know, they are the future of the American theater, you know. And um, what's fantastic about this place is that Christopher Reeve came up. He was an apprentice. He directed there. He acted there. Blythe Danner, Gwyneth Paltrow was a little, you know, three-year-old girl running around the stage while her mother played on the stage. Eventually, she played Nina to her mother's uh, madam. Uh, uh, did she play, did she play Nina? Yes, and uh, Cardinal, she, you know. Uh, so Blythe Danner played her Cardinal, and she played Nina, you know. Uh, uh, Olympia Dukakis has been there. Uh, yeah, Joanne Woodward supports the play. Paul Newman, it's, a, it's a, uh, you know, Austin Pendleton. There's been so many great names of the American theater through this place. I could go on and on, and I'm missing James Norton. I'm missing Kate Burton. I'm missing all these wonderful well, James people. James Norton you've just added to your board and Dana Reeves. Well, that's right. I want, yeah, yeah. I, I want practitioners. I also want to, to make the, bo- the board are now really interested in actually uh, – it's a hard thing to run a theater in the, 50 miles away from the nearest railway station. Do you know, you know, and, and to break down the sense of, you know, of course, it's a wonderful place to go to. It's very gorgeous and beautiful, but the, the work should be strong and, and exciting, and it should be a place where we experience theatre rather than just uh, endure it. Well, speaking of the work, we mentioned <clears throat> the first production, which begins July 6th, Lady Windermere's Fan. Right. Now, you took your job on on January 1st of this year. I did, you yeah. Were not even yet, six months into your new position. Yeah. Did you put together the whole slate of all seven shows? Sure, absolutely. Since January 1st? Yeah, right. Can we just quickly review what they are? Would you like to? Oh, yeah, I can tell you everything about <laughs> everything. It's all right. So we start with Lady Windermere's kind of, fan. Kind of a guided tour as to what will be yeah. offered on both the main stage and the Nico stage. What happens? You, you, it's, we do a, uh, we're doing a, a slightly truncated season because we get these theaters late. And next year it'll be slight, it'll be a longer season, more fully expressed as, as was the opportunities in years past. But uh, here we have seven plays, four plays on the big main stage, and three rather more modern plays uh, written more recently. I mean, very much uh, nearer to today um, on the on the smaller stage. But as you understand, that each play plays for two weeks mm-hmm. and rehearses for three weeks, and uh, every week we put on a new play. So. The larger theatre opens one week. The next week, the smaller theatre opens. The next week, the larger theatre finishes that play and puts on another one in only three days. And then it's so on and so on and so on. Three so days they, in between to rehearse the new show. No, no, not really. They rehearse for three weeks. But the tech, which is a oh, vital tech, part of expressing, you know, well, yeah, but it's a, a, a seriously concentrated piece of operation. It takes, you know, infinite kind of skill to actually get, get a show focused and lit and costumed and, 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 and finding some, some ten minutes to discuss something and reject something or try to find something else. Uh, we have to make the decisions very, very early on and believe we're sure and write about them. Um, um, it's 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 almost an absurd uh, 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 kind of 
careering sort of motion this and also we're doing many many apprenticeship pro, uh, shows uh, we're doing the leapfrog programs the Greylock things we're doing uh, uh, young directors are directing things uh, all over the place so we're doing two cabarets this year uh, we're doing many many other programs I, I, we're talking where I'm doing uh, audience programs uh, allowing the audience to come up and feel what it's like to be in a play or backstage tours and uh, talking I, I want to have an evening with the critics the local critics and find out what they think about theatre so there's many, many things. We've got, we've got um, uh, Steve Lawson has written another uh, section of those Tennessee Williams letters and uh, uh, Richard Thomas is coming up to do On a Dark Monday to perform those. I hope to encourage more of those sorts of events. Uh, so it's a, a continually every day I would say there's at least ten things to come and see and be part of. So anyway, Lady, Lady Windermere's fan directed by Moises Kaufman. Um, this, as I said, this most exto- astonishing director uh, is going to direct Gene Smart and uh, a wonderful, wonderful group of actors in uh, Lady Windermere's Fan. In the main theatre, that's followed by Joe Bonney. Uh, there weren't many women directors there before and not many women playwrights even. And Joe Bonney is um, Eric Bogosian's wife. And, but um, she doesn't rest on his laurels because she's an extremely modern and fierce and strong and funny director of, of modern works. And, and if you look at 20 – if you go to any list of 20 of the greatest plays ever written, you'll find Carol Churchill's Top Girls. It's one of the great plays about women's condition in this world. It, and it's a, a, a play of such universal sentiments that it's a, it, you weep when you read it. It's a great, great play. And uh, so this all-women cast are going to do this play. And Jessica Hecht is playing the lead in that. Which, and she just finished being in Julius Caesar um, uh, with uh, Denzel Washington playing his wife. And then the, the next play uh, in the large theater is On the Razzle, which is a, a reworking of a Nestroy play. Uh, uh, Nestroy was an Austrian, I think, uh, uh, in 1880, he wrote this play. He was a, it was a man who loved um, wordplay. And Tom Stoppard loves wordplay. And he's done this adaptation of this play called On the Razzle, which was at the National Theatre in England. And uh, Michael McKeon is playing uh, the lead in that. And uh, it's directed by David Jones, who directed the Royal Shakespeare Company for many, many years in London and directed me in thousands of plays. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for me to be with my dear old friend who helped me become a better actor and a man who knows theatre so well. I can't... All these people are so important to the apprentices and the interns because they're going to be with them and learning from them and the assistant directors are going to be working with them. It's a great... It's like a little university sort of squashed into one. And then the the fourth play of that uh, uh, season in the larger theatre is... um, uh, bus stop by William Inge, so all the Americans can rise and cheer. And uh, uh, but it's a great, great play, a play I love very much. William Inge is not neglected, but he's he's a, one of the great playwrights. And uh, this is the part that Kim Stanley played on the stage, and Marilyn Monroe played um, uh, in the theatre. And Elizabeth Banks, who are from Seabiscuit, is playing uh, Cherie in that. And we've got. Uh, uh, Logan Marshall Green from uh, the OC, who's playing Bo, and I've got a great cast for that as well. Very sexy, young, upbeat play, uh, uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. And that's directed by a great man of the theatre, who, when I directed The Taming of the Shrew at Williamstown, and I played Petruchio and directed it opposite B.B. Neweth, with, as you say, lots of my friends that were in the company because I had to have th- their feedback too. Uh, Will Frears, who's directing this play, uh, was my assistant director and now he's directing a play in the main theatre because he's also doing such a lot of work around the place and he's working almost continually in New York and has just opened terrorism and uh, 
uh, Omnium Gatherum was was Will Frears, and he's a very, very exciting young director. So then in the smaller theatre, which um, uh, was indeed our large theatre and now seats 170 people, so more people can come and see the smaller plays we do, we've got a, a, a season of new works. This is, this is really – this is where the Greylock Project and the Leapfrog Project pay off because uh, I think, I think what, what happened in the past and what may happen in the future is that you could lean on people, you know, established playwrights and say, have you got a small play that we could do and things like that? And of course, they were very exciting and wonderful things. But what I wanted to do was to fulfill my wish of sort of giving these, these opportunities to these young playwrights because I think where else can they go? unless we trust them and we believe in them. These are three fantastic plays. They're really exciting. Etan Frankel has written a play called Create Fate. And um, it's a play about a man discovering, learning to describe himself. He falls in love with a woman. He mistakenly gets mixed up with the, with, the, with the wrong woman, finds the right one. She's not correct. But it's, it's, it's a journey of self-discovery. It's a, it's a, a deeply funny, sad play. It's beautiful and it's directed by Chris Ashley who just directed All Shook Up and who's a mainstay of uh, uh, Williamstown. Funny, strong director. Uh, a thrilling uh, opportunity this is going to be. And I think it's a great uh, crowd pleaser as a play. The other two plays in that theatre... Uh, the second of the, of the three plays in that theatre is called The Sugar Syndrome by Lucy Preble, a young English writer who's 23 years old. This play was at the Royal Court and, uh, and, and Lucy also worked at the National Theatre. And um, this is a very exciting uh, piece of writing. It's a piece of writing that I admire deeply. It's uh, – see, Tom Stoppard said a long time ago in, in The Real Thing, he said – if you get the right words in the right order, you can, you can nudge the world a little. And this is what these young playwrights are doing. You know, they write better than we do. That's why we should go and see them. That's why we do Shakespeare because he writes better. He's better than we are. We want to be near him. I want to be near these young playwrights. They're fantastic. Lucy Preble's written this play about a young girl and her mother whose husband and father have left the house and the girl turns to the internet and it's the people she meets, and she actually meets somebody in the flesh that she picks up on the internet pretending to be a boy. It's an extraordinary, perverse, fabulously funny play. It's really exciting modern piece of writing. Uh, it, it, she's a great writer, Lucy Preble. It's thrilling. And to complete the trilogy of new plays there, we have a, 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 a lady I directed in um, Mud River Stone at the Playwrights Theatre, uh, Horizon Theatre, Oni Fayeda Lampley, who's a great African-American uh, actress who's also a stupendous writer of... Uh, I think her play that we're going to do as our final play in the season is... It may not be the greatest piece of writing in the world. I would say Chekhov beats everyone, really, as far as that goes. This is the most moving play I've ever read. This is the most singularly thrilling play I've ever been near. It's a wonderful play. It's about Oni's own experience with cancer and her double mastectomy, and it's called Tough Titty. And it's a thrilling, audacious piece of writing. Yeah. So there you have my uh, – they're, they're, they're the cards I'm playing. After hearing that whole description, I want to come back to something you said earlier about wanting to interact with the audience and hear what they think. And it strikes me that – in many cases, a new artistic director, even an artistic director who may have been in a community for several years, isn't necessarily someone that everybody's going to just see and spot and say, you know, be able to go up to. 
you have a certain recognition factor by virtue of several years on an extremely popular television show. You have no barrier. You have no protection. When you're standing in the back of the house and people see you, everybody's going to know exactly who you are and that you're the guy in charge. Is that daunting or is that something you really welcome and and because your accessibility will be instantaneous whether you like it or not. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm having some badges made um, in case they don't uh, – To say, in case they don't to watch say TV. Roger. If they don't watch TV, hey, I'm the or artistic director. if they're theater fans, they know you from, you know, sure. from Nicholas Nickleby and so on. No, no. Um, I was at the theater last night. I, was, I went to see Hamlet in Princeton uh, and um, – and, uh, yeah, people just recognize you. It's very, very nice. It's wonderful. It takes a great deal of courage to come up to somebody, I believe, uh, and say they liked or disliked your, you know, performances. I don't mind what well, they say. Well, especially dislike. I mean, people yeah. don't usually come up and say – they don't approach you and say, not so crazy about what you did. Do you want people to be able to come up and say – you know, that last play? Oh, no, I've had not. lots of things. I had a man, I did The Misanthrope with Uma Thurman. Uh, we, we had a, in a wonderful play, a version of the play by Martin Crimp, directed by Barry Edelstein. It was a great... Ex- Down at the CSC. Yes, it was a thrilling thing to do, and, and we had a great time. And a man said to me afterwards, he said, you were quite good tonight. He said, you were quite good on the stage. Pity it doesn't come over in film, he said. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, I know a comic in England who was on a train going north, and, and somebody said... Um, what's your name? And he said, oh, I'm Jack Seaton. He said, Jack Seaton? I thought you were dead. You know, people, <laughs> people don't know. I think it's because people get, stand next to you. Um, and when, I, you know, it happens at stage doors a lot. Uh, when they see you in the, in the theater, um, uh, they see you in a play. Uh, I have a theory. It's called the has-been theory. It's, uh, I think the audience want to Want one of two things. They want to have you or to be you, you know? I think when you watch a play, have you ever seen people mouthing the words along with the actors? It's just because they associate themselves with that character. They want to be that person. But when they meet you at the stage door, it's a very different thing because you're just a person. You're just wearing a duffel coat and you're coming out and you've got the makeup smudged on your collar. Um, Laurence Olivier said to me, he said, um, I did a movie with Laurence Olivier. I'm, I'm very pleased to, see, to say it was a wonderful experience. And um, uh, he said well, he came out from playing Romeo and Juliet one night. And um, a woman came up to him and said, Come in, Mr. Olivier, may I have your autograph? And he said, Well, of course, may I. And uh, so he took the autograph book and he, he wrote, Lawrence. And just as he'd written Lawrence, she said, The balcony scene was dreadful this evening, wasn't it? <laughs> and he went, Olivier. <laughs> you know, what else is there to do? <laughs> you just carry on. I think in Nicholas Nickleby, the actor-manager, Mr. Crummles, says this thing continually. And he's a man who runs a theater, uh, you know, where if he finds a, a piece of junk by the road, he puts it in the play. If he finds a bath, he'll put it in, the, in Romeo and Juliet, you know, uh, uh, a real charlatan. But he's running a theater company and he says, we carry on, he says. We carry on, and I think we do. I, you know, there's a, I like the idea of being an actor all my life or someone associated with the theatre all my life. I like that. You can start off playing Mamilius in uh, Winter's Tale, the young boy, and finish up playing the gravedigger in Hamlet. It seems it's a good life. Well, you are now, as of January 1st, the artistic director at the Williamstown Theatre Festival. Will mm-hmm. we see you back on stage, whether it be Williamstown or... 
Broadway stages, maybe movie sta- sets, stages. I guess I oh, yeah, that's no. what they call the Hollywood no. stages. Yeah, I, no, I ju- I, I'm doing a, I was do- I just finished a movie on Sunday. I mean, I'm doing oh. a little independent movie uh-huh. with Ian Holm. I play a little part in it. Ian Holm plays a big part. But he's like one of my heroes. He was one of the people who served an apprenticeship through the Royal Shakespeare Company before me. And... Um, so yeah, I I I I I'll do I do lots of things. I write. I you know I teach a lot. I, I, I teach all over the place. And I um, uh, you know I, I I've been doing. I, I work for the Collegiate Chorale, a wonderful choir here in. Uh, uh, you know I'm their artistic associate there, working with Robert Bass, who's just an incredible maestro, inspired man. And we do concerts at the at um, uh, Carnegie Hall and Alice Tully Hall and. And I think many things cross over and intermingle. Uh, no, I'm excited by my life. I think the, uh, uh, being artistic doesn't make me tired. It, it energizes me, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, Roger Rees, you are the new um, artistic director of Williamstown Theatre Festival. Thank you for being with us today on Downstage Center. It's a pleasure to talk to you in the audience. Thank you. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding all of our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media programs of the American Theatre Wing are available online, on demand, for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. As long as Howard is mentioning websites, should we repeat your website one more time? You must. WTFestival.org for information about the Williamstown Theater Festival, ticket information, apprenticeship information, training, jobs, anything you want to know about Williamstown. You're a good lad. Thank you. Roger, again, thank you. For XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten. For Downstage Center, that's a wrap, and thank you.